Chapter 6 Christ in You, the Hope of Glory What our infinite God has offered us is beyond our ability to comprehend. The Apostle Paul prayed that we would know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians 3, 19 Since this is recorded in God's Word, we can be sure that it is a prayer of the Holy Spirit and that it will be fulfilled in God's church. The last phrase of this prayer is beyond astounding. Notice the key words, filled, all, fullness, God. Being filled with God is glorious, but being filled with all of God is incomprehensible for the human mind and more so when we are called to be filled with all of God's fullness and not merely with only a few of His characteristics. If you sincerely desire God's best for your life, this surely moves you to cry, May it be so in me, Lord. Christ is the answer. Paul gave us further insight to what all this means when he wrote, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 The key is for Christ to dwell in our hearts, for in Christ is found all the fullness of God, as Paul wrote just before that verse. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. Colossians 1.19 God is not trying to improve what we are. Rather, He is trying to empty us of what we are and fill us with what Christ is. As John the Baptist declared, He must increase, but I must decrease. John 3.30 Paul explains that we must put off the old man, what we are, and put on the new man, Christ's life in us. But how can this be done? It is obviously a work of the cross that Christ has called us to embrace. As he said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke 9.23 This involves dying to our own fleshly desires, denying ourselves and our rights, laying down our lives to do the Lord's will instead of our own will and to be more concerned about blessing others rather than blessing ourselves. It is easy to see in the Bible what we must do, but from where do the grace, strength, desire, and ability come to us so that it becomes our way of life instead of merely a doctrinal position? Many of us have longed to follow in Christ's steps, but there seems to be something missing in our spiritual lives. Could it be a key that King David discovered, a key that will change everything for you? God wants all of us to be the Lord's mother. Why was David the chosen vessel through whom the life of Christ would come? Of course, Mary was the final person in the lineage of David, and the life of Christ came to the world through her. Later, when the mother of Jesus and his brethren were looking for him, he asked the multitude around him, who is my mother or my brethren? He then gave them the answer, Whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. Mark 3, 33 through 35. 
Most surely, Jesus was speaking here of spiritual relationships and not merely natural relationships. What does it mean for us to be His mother? It simply means that we become a channel for Christ's life to be revealed through us in a spiritual way to those around us, just as Mary was a channel from which His life was revealed to others in a natural way. The Lord wants us all to be channels through which His life flows to a needy world. But how can we reach that goal? We find the answer in the life of David. Why was David chosen to bring forth Christ? Does the Bible give us the secret to becoming one of those channels? Psalms 132 is one place where that secret is revealed. Let's consider this psalm in which I have emphasized some of the key words or phrases. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swore unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob, Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to mine eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Lo, we heard of it at Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of the wood. We will go into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and to thy rest, thou in the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness, and let thy saints shout for joy. For thy servant David's sake, Turn not away the face of thine anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. Psalms 132, 1 through 11. David swore unto the Lord and made a solemn vow to him that he would not go to his bed nor give himself rest until he had prepared a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. David then said that he heard about it at Ephratah, which is another name for Bethlehem. Someone else in Israel also heard about it at Bethlehem, because when evil spirits began to come upon King Saul, his men counseled him to find a cunning player on the harp to drive away those spirits. One of Saul's servants had heard David play the harp in Bethlehem, and the king called him to play before him. This was the first major event in young David's life after Samuel had anointed him. When he played the harp, God's presence would come and drive away the evil spirits from Saul. 1 Samuel 16, 15-23 David prepared God's resting place before enjoying his own. In the fields of Bethlehem, as he pastured his father's sheep, David discovered that God inhabits the praises of his people. Psalms 22, 3. And in the above passage, he clearly explains what he found in Bethlehem. He found that he could enter into God's habitation or tabernacle through worship, and that as he prepares the Lord a place of worship, the Lord arises into his rest. David vowed to prepare God's place of rest daily before he would allow himself to enter into his own place of rest. The psalmists refer to their vows several times, and the only vow that they claim to have made throughout the psalms was to worship the Lord daily. 
It is no coincidence that David made a solemn vow to the Lord to prepare his house of worship daily, and that the divine response was that the Lord made a solemn vow to David that he would be the channel through whom the King of Israel would come. This is plainly seen at the end of the above passage. God is no respecter of persons. What he has shown to us through David is what he offers to us also. We, too, can be a channel for his life to flow if we prepare his dwelling place within us through daily worship. To God, numbers have significance. Some believers have reached the conclusion that the numbers used in the Bible have no significance. How could every jot and tittle of the Scripture have significance to our God and yet something so important as numbers be meaningless? Most Christians know that the number 666 has great significance. Revelation 13.18 tells us, Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred threescore and six. There is wisdom in this number, and a person of understanding will attempt to see its meaning. The Hebrew word for the number seven also refers to a covenant or promise that a person makes. Before his death, Joseph told his brethren that God would bring them into the land that he sware to Abraham. Genesis 50, 24. The Hebrew word for swear here refers to the land that God literally sevened to Abraham. God showed Ezekiel the detailed measurements of the temple beginning in Ezekiel 40. The Lord then told him to show the house to the house of Israel, that they may be ashamed of their iniquities, and let them measure the pattern. Ezekiel 43, 10. If the numbers related to the measurements had no meaning to the Jewish mind, then there would have been no message nor any shame in hearing those measurements. They understood the meanings of the numbers, and they realized that their lives did not measure up to the pattern of God's house that they were called to become. The study of the numbers found in the Bible is outside the scope of this book, but a few observations might be helpful for some readers. It is important that we understand that the numbers of the chapters and verses of the books of the Bible were assigned by men, and we must not base any doctrine or conclusions on those numbers. However, even regarding that aspect, there are some very interesting coincidences in the Bible. One is that the Apostle John wrote, As ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. 1 John 2, 18 and 19. As we know, the number related to the Antichrist is 666. It must have been traumatic for John to see that most of Christ's disciples went out from him and abandoned him in John 6. It is amazing that John 6, 66 tells us, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. We know that the chapter and verse of this passage were not assigned by John. Even so, the three numbers of that passage and what happened there reveal the nature and characteristics of those who are Antichrist. 
Another interesting detail in the Bible that God's providential hand was almost certainly involved in is found in the prophet Isaiah. His message contains 66 chapters, and the Bible contains 66 books. Isaiah might be called a miniature Bible, since some of the messages of the chapters are a summary of their corresponding books in the Bible. For example, the first chapter of Isaiah reveals the problem of sin, as does Genesis, the first book in the Bible. The last chapter, Isaiah 66, gives a summary of the last book of the Bible, Revelation, revealing the last days and the second coming, as seen in verses 16 through 24. Another amazing example of this is seen in Isaiah 40. The Old Testament contains 39 books, and the 40th book in the Bible is Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The New Testament begins with the birth and message of John the Baptist, and the 40th chapter of Isaiah declares the message of John the Baptist, as seen in the following passage. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Isaiah 40, 3-5 God determined the numbers of the Psalms. It is a fact that the numbers of the chapters and verses of the books in the Bible were determined by men for easy reference. However, the numbers of the Psalms were not assigned by men, but rather by God. The message of Psalm 50 is extremely important for those who want to know the Lord in a more intimate way. The Bible reveals unmistakably the spiritual meaning of the number 50. Every 50 years, all the slaves were freed and the lands that had been sold by their owners returned to the original owners. It was the Jubilee, the year of deliverance, Leviticus 25, 10. It was also the number that determined when the Levites were delivered from their ministerial burdens. They carried physical burdens in the ministry of God's dwelling place between the ages of 30 and 50. Numbers 4, 47, 8, 25. Let's consider the deliverance that is found in Psalm 50 and how that deliverance can come to us. If you need deliverance in any area, Psalm 50 will give you a key. Psalms 50, 15 links this psalm to deliverance, something we all need to some degree in our spiritual lives. The Lord promises in that verse, And call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. When he says, And call upon me, I will deliver thee, the word and implies that calling upon the Lord is a final step in obtaining deliverance from the Lord. We want to see what must come beforehand. Let's consider the first details revealed in Psalm 50. The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken, and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Psalms 50, 1. Psalms 113.3 gives us the key to understanding what God's call is from the rising of the sun unto the going down of the sun. 
From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. We have already seen that the most important event in God's dwelling place is the continual burnt offering every morning and every evening. We are called to be His dwelling place from which the continual offering of praise ascends to Him. Then, Psalms 50, 2-5 gives an amazing summary of the second coming of the Lord. In verse 3, we see the Lord coming, and it will be a very tempestuous time. In verses 4 and 5, we see that He gathers His saints from heaven and earth in the last days. Mark 13, 27 gives us the same end-time revelation. But in this context, there is a certain requirement to be one of those who are gathered. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Psalms 50, 5 This psalm now explains how we can make a covenant by sacrifice. The Lord declares, I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. Verse 8. He is referring here to the continual burnt offering, the morning and evening sacrifice that he calls us to offer from the very first verse of this psalm. He then explains that if he were hungry, he would not choose to eat the physical meat of our animals. Verses 9 through 13 but He is desiring something from us that is far more glorious than physical meat. He therefore exhorts us, Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High. Verse 14. We have seen that the only vow made by the psalmists was to offer the morning and evening sacrifice to the Lord. Once we are being faithful to offer this sacrifice, we will be in a position to take the final step to obtain God's deliverance in our lives. And so, after fulfilling the previous verses, he reveals the final step to receive his deliverance. And call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Verse 15. If we make a covenant with him by sacrifice, we can be certain that in our time of trouble, difficulties, anguish, and captivity, He will deliver us when we call upon Him. The last verse of this psalm confirms the entire message of the psalm. Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. Verse 23, New King James Version. In other words, those of us who make a covenant with Him through praise will experience His deliverance and salvation in any and all of our battles. Near the end of this psalm, we receive a warning that makes it clear that there are things we can do to impede God's deliverance in our lives. The Lord warns, But unto the wicked God saith, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes? or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth. Seeing thou hatest instruction, and castest my words behind thee. When thou sawest a thief, then thou consentedst with him, and hast been partaker with adulterers. Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother, thou slanderest thine own mother's son, these things hast thou done, and I kept silence. 
Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself. But I will reprove thee, and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. Psalms 50, 16-22 So then, those who forget God, instead of daily worshiping Him, and those who reject His word and make friends with the wicked, and also slander others, will sooner or later find that there will be no deliverance in their hour of need. May we all be careful to do what is right, because then we will experience divine intervention to bring us the salvation of our God and His deliverance. David's life is no coincidence. In light of God's promise to show His salvation to those who are worshipers, it is no coincidence that King David was both the greatest worshiper in the history of Israel and at the same time the greatest conqueror of his enemies and those of Israel. Deliverance is granted to those who make a covenant with the Lord by sacrifice, those who respond to his call from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same to offer to him thanksgiving and praise. It is not because God needs our thanksgiving and praise. Rather, as we have seen, God wants to share his life with us, and that happens through worship. Also, we need to give to him thanksgiving and praise so that we continually recognize from whence comes our help and from whence our help in past times has so often come. Not only from the life of King David do we learn the secret to receiving deliverance in our battles. There are other biblical examples of God's deliverance coming to the lives of worshipers. King Jehoshaphat faced an impossible battle against several kings who were allied against him, and the Lord led him to send out the worshipers before his army who said, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. When he did so, God gave him a mighty deliverance, and he did not even need to fight. 2 Chronicles 20, 1-25 Are we willing to allow God to do the same for us? Are we willing to enter into a greater intimacy with God through thanksgiving and worship that will move the heart of God to bring deliverance to us in our time of need? Finally, are we willing to be a worshiper like King David by being faithful to prepare the Lord's dwelling place each day, morning and evening? If so, the Lord will cause us to be channels for His life to flow to others and to bring deliverance to their lives as well as to our own. Send Judah First The name of the Israelite tribe from which Jesus and David came was Judah. The word Judah in Hebrew is actually the word for praise. Leah, the wife of Jacob, confirms this in Genesis 29:35. When her fourth son was born to Jacob, she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. How important is this name and this tribe in God's plans? After the initial conquest of the promised land, Joshua died and there was still much land to be conquered. The tribes of Israel asked the Lord who among them should go up first to fight against their enemies. The Lord said to them, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. Judges 1, 
2. Praise is a major key in our lives to obtaining the victory over our enemies. The Bible and King David's life confirm this fact in many ways. Also, Jacob's prophetic word over his son, Judah, reveals the power of praise in a believer's life. Jacob declared, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Genesis 49, 8. We will be overcome by our enemies in our battles if our first reaction is to complain. As the psalmist tells us, I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Psalm 77, 3. To the contrary, we can experience divine victory over our enemies and deliverance from our problems if we respond with Judah, praise, first when the enemy comes in like a flood. Will we send Judah first in our battles by lifting our voice to praise the Lord, or will we send complaining, murmuring, and expressions of unbelief and end up being defeated in our battles? All normal people want to be delivered from their problems. If you want to experience God's deliverance, consider the rest of the message of this book.